are listening to The Great Light Podcast. This podcast is a production of Great Light Studios. For more information and resources, or to watch our films, go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on Facebook or YouTube. If you would like to support the ministry of Great Light Studios, you can do so easily and securely through our website. There, you can also find both video and audio versions of the podcast. So today I'm starting what will be the first in a, uh, a series of videos covering the topic of the unpardonable sin or the um, unforgivable sin. The sin that Jesus says is without forgiveness that will not be forgiven, um, neither in this age or the age to come. Um, there's a whole category of people who are living in just absolute terror and debilitating fear of, of this concept of the unpardonable sin. There's people who are convinced that they have committed it. And because they're convinced of that, uh, they find so many scriptures in the Bible that they believe supports that. They, they, they then start to look inwardly and they, they think about certain sins they've committed, whether that's speaking something to the Holy Spirit or saying something to God that they feel is uh, that classifies as the unpardonable sin or, or just an extended period of sin or a certain type of sin that they've committed that basically they um, believe that they've committed this specific sin. They believe that they are without hope. They cannot repent. They cannot turn back to God. God has given them over. He's He's done with them basically and that they are doomed to hell. Um, a lot of these people are looking at passages like Hebrews 12 that talks about um, Esau uh, and they believe that passages like that teach that even though they might want to repent, they can't repent. Um, basically, God won't let them uh, have true repentance, even though they want to. Um, so there's a whole category of people that are, again, I think the word debilitated is is accurate, that, that their lives in large part are debilitated by this fear. And I am... This is a topic that I've I've wanted to talk about for a while, something I've wanted to cover for a while, and it feels very close to home for me because there was a time in my life about 10 years ago that I was in this category, that this, um, this was me. I was convinced that I had committed the unpardonable sin, that I had gone too far, that that uh, uh, I was, I, I've th- thought that I was an Esau who couldn't repent and um, God wouldn't let me repent. I thought I was a uh, in the category of Hebrews six that I had, you know, tasted of the heavenly gift. I'd been a partaker of the Holy Spirit, um, and, and all those things. But I had fallen away and was crucifying the Son of God afresh, and that it was impossible is what Hebrews says six says impossible for me to be renewed to repentance. Um, passages like this served as my uh, tormentors, literally my tormentors for, uh, a long time in my life, like a, a period of, uh, you know, and then the most intense period probably lasted around a year. And, and it kind of started to decline as I, uh, as I got more and more freedom to where now I'm, I'm free. I, I don't live in that anymore. I was convinced that that was, that was the end, you know, that my relationship with God was over. There was no hope for me. Um, all I had to look forward to was hell. It's dark and depressing, but that's what I was convinced of. And that's what many people are convinced of 
who are coming across passages like this and having certain experiences of um, of sin and failure in their uh, their lives. But um, but again, I'm not there anymore. I've I've found freedom. I found uh, I feel like there's um, a way of understanding these verses that I didn't know before that um, God has shown me, that God, I believe, has helped me to understand these passages in a way where I, you know, don't live in, in fear that I actually have committed the unpardonable sin and, and have no hope. And I think he's clarified to me what the unpardonable sin is and what it is not. And, and ultimately what he did, I think, you know, a big, big aspect, obviously the, well, the aspect of my freedom from that fear was ultimately me, uh, I think learning to walk by faith for one, when I didn't feel God, when I felt totally abandoned by him, when I felt like I looked inside myself, when I would try to repent and everything in the scriptures seemed to tell me my, my repentance was fake. It was false. It didn't, it wasn't real. And I couldn't really repent. I felt like God wasn't answering me. He was ignoring me. He was far away, um, that he wasn't with me anymore. But I had to learn to walk by faith and look at what the Bible actually says about God and to trust in that, to not lean on my own understanding, but to trust in the Lord. So learning to walk by faith was uh, obviously something that God had to teach me through that to give me freedom. The other thing was God showing me the 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 length and depth and height and uh, the the bigness the fullness of what Jesus has done uh the full victory over sin that he has provided ultimately this concept that he he taught me was um something that kind of is from uh, something Moses says in Deuteronomy but then Paul quotes in Romans where it talks about um Jesus having both ascended and descended uh to the lower parts of the earth and I I believe part of what that passage is getting at is the fact that Jesus has ascended as high up in victory as he can possibly go. That there's no victory, there's no victory over sin that is left to be gained. Jesus already has full and total victory over all sin. And it says he ascended to the, the lower parts of the earth. And so I think there's many ways of, um, there's probably a lot of meaning in that. But one thing I take out of that, one thing I think it's getting at is that no matter how low our sin is, that the lowest of the low, the darkest, the most evil, the most horrific sin and failure and disobedience, Jesus on the cross went lower than, he went that low and he went lower and and he took care of that. He took care of the, the lowest depths of our sin. He took care of that. And so in that darkness, that dark period of my life that I was in, God had to show me, you know, the the only light I found was Jesus and looking at him and in light of all, uh, in spite of all the, the fear, the condemnation I felt, the guilt, the fear about all these different scriptures, I looked, had to learn to look at Jesus and see who he is, understand who he is, what he has done and what that means for all of this other stuff that I'm hearing, all this, these other, this condemnation, this hopelessness has been communicated to me. I had to learn to interpret those feelings, those thoughts in light of the truth of who Jesus is. Ultimately, what that that led me to again is 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 freedom. Um, and I think unpacking the truth of who Jesus is helps us to understand what the unpardonable sin truly is and what it is not. 
And so <clears throat> that's what I want to do in this series. I want to I want to talk about those things. I want to help for people who are wrestling and struggling with this in that dark period like I was. I want to be to offer to them help and encouragement in this series that I didn't have. Um, in, in many ways, I was alone left to kind of figure that out. You know, I didn't have a whole lot of, um, you know, paths that had been tread before me that I could look to and say, oh, this person has gone through this. I can kind of see how they got through. I didn't know of anybody who had experienced it and come out on the other side. And so when I was in it, I didn't think I would come out on the other side. I didn't think there was another side. I thought that was it. Um, and so I want to be somebody, I want this series to help people in that situation to find hope, to understand these passages of scripture that are tormenting them, confusing them, and debilitating them most likely. Uh, I, I want to remind you guys, if you're listening to this, if you're in that situation, that um, in in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, um, I think it's a couple times that Satan uses scripture against Jesus. One of the main... Uh, strategies that Satan uses against Jesus to, to attempt to cause Jesus to move from faith and dependence on God into fear and self-reliance. I think that's ultimately what Satan wanted to do is get Jesus's eyes off the Father and the provision and goodness of the Father toward him and to get Jesus's eyes on himself and, and to stop depending on the Father. In order to do that, again, one of Satan's main strategies was to use Bible verses, which is crazy. But I think Satan still uses that strategy today. I think, and I'm convinced that in that time that I was in, Satan was using verses like Hebrews 6 against me. Satan was using passages like Hebrews 12 against me. Ultimately, I think what he wanted to do is fill me and flood my mind, my heart with so much fear, hopelessness, condemnation that I would just give up, that I would abandon faith and kind of go my own way in life, whether that was embracing sin or just or even just embracing absolute and complete despair. Either of, you know, whether you're just embracing sin, atheism, whatever, whatever, or just despair, giving up, hopelessness, both of those are are rooted in um unbelief, just not believing the fullness of who Jesus is. And so I say that to say, I want to explain these passages that I believe the devil is using against people, that he is using these against people. And because a lot of people's fears in this area, their their torment, their, their darkness that they're going through by fearing the unpardonable sin, a lot of those um, people, th those struggles, those fears, that darkness is is being, it's rooted in Bible verses. It's, it, it, it's being sourced from certain Bible verses that they, I believe, are not understanding correctly. I believe Satan is putting his own twist on them and then sending them into your minds and that that is debilitating you. Um, so I want to cover those passages in this series. I want to cover Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, the passages about Esau. Um, I want to talk more about, I think, how Satan's in, uh, involvement plays into all this and, um, and just give advice on how to move forward, talk about how I went from completely being debilitated to where, you know, I had been at this job for two years. I had been looking forward to this working for a, a certain promotion. I finally got that promotion, but unfortunately that promotion came around the same time that all this 
stuff started happening in my life. And I ended up, ended up having to, to quit that job. I, I couldn't even maintain that job. Um, and so when I use the word debilitated, um, it's not an exaggeration of, I think, what these scriptures can do in people's lives. This, it literally debilitated my life, the fear, the, the, the things I was experiencing emotionally and spiritually uh, because of this. And so um, I want to just explain kind of through this series, again, tips, advice, encouragement about how I move forward and how I um, am where I am today, where, where I feel like I'm able to sit here now with with no fear of where I stand with God um, and, and just a, a much, you know, much different relationship with God than I had before, but one that is more full, that is, I think, I believe more mature and understanding, um, ultimately, I think, the gospel and the fullness of who Jesus is. So that's that's what I want to do. If, if you're somebody who's struggling with this specific thing, I hope that you would watch um, um, some of the videos I'll be putting out oh, over the next couple months probably about this topic because I, I want to give you, again, I want to give you some help that I didn't have. I, and I'm not claiming that I have all the answers to this. To this. I'm, not, I'm not claiming that I can fully understand um, everybody's situation. I know that each person listening to this who is maybe in the midst of that sort of struggle, your specific situation might look and feel different than the one I'm describing and, and, and the same for other people listening. And so that might cause you to think, okay, well, well, yeah, he maybe kind of understands, but he doesn't really have something to say because my situation is different. Um, I, I understand that, but I think what I'm going to say, what the things I'm going to talk about, I think will apply to you, no matter what the differences or the variations in in your spe uh, specific story may be. So I hope you'll watch. I hope that this will help you. I want to also answer questions. I, I want to hear questions in the comments, you know, in the comment section, things that I'm not thinking about that you're struggling with. I remember in that time there were there were so many arguments built up in my mind again, so many Bible verses that I had this, again, I had this whole narrative set up of why I was without hope. And so it was, that was a very difficult thing to penetrate if somebody wanted to offer encouragement or, or if I wanted to just receive encouragement from other places in the Bible, when I'd find a verse that might seem to encourage me, there was this whole wall uh, of other verses that had been built up and inter intertwined together to kind of block out those verses so that if an encouraging verse would try to come in, it's like, well, all these verses came together, these condemning verses, and kind of blocked it out. And so the way I had to get free, and I think the way many people have to get free, is they have to begin to un, uh, pull out verse by verse and understand this and understand that and kind of put these off to the side when you understand what they do mean, what they do not mean. And, um, and that's what I had to do. That's what... Um, gave me freedom, but I know there's many questions. There's going to be a variety of questions that I probably have thought of, thought of in that season, but I'm, you know, I've been about 10 years away from, from the initial kind of start of that season for myself. And so there's many, many things, many questions, many battles uh, that went on in my mind that I've forgotten about that many that are, that are completely fresh and real and alive to many of you. And so I want to hear about those things and, and hopefully help answer any variety of questions you guys might have surrounding this. Um, and so, so that's, 
that's the point of this series. Um, if that's something that sounds like it will be helpful to you, then I, I would encourage you guys to watch um, these videos. And um, in this one, I just, I just want to talk about, just kind of do a little overview about the unpardonable sin. And I want to basically answer the question for you guys watching, um, what is it? And have you committed it? Have you committed the unpardonable sin? Um, many of you who are watching are convinced that you have committed the unpardonable sin and, and you don't know what to do right now. Uh, you feel lost and hopeless, and you may have become somewhat debilitated in life and unable to function. I know that was the case for me. I, I had become in, in many ways unable to function. Um, I know that it's going to be difficult just as it was for me, for some of you to receive any encouragement I give. It might be difficult because, again, I think there might be these barriers, um, these arguments that might be blocking any encouragement I might give. You have, you know, it, it, Second Corinthians talks about how um, we, by divine power, we have the weapons of our warfare are divine. It talks about for tearing down strongholds. Um, and demolishing every argument, every lofty opinion, everything that exalts itself over the true knowledge of God. Ultimately, my freedom had to come from those strongholds of thinking patterns, of arguments that had been built up in my mind about God, about who he was, about what he thought about me, about myself and who I am. Those arguments, those those um, lofty opinions, you know, like Paul talks about again, Second Corinthians, those had to be demolished. They had to be torn down bit by bit and and removed at the foundation, so that they those that way of thinking no longer had a place in my heart or in my mind. And um, that's that's what needs to happen for so many of us. Whether I mean that, and that applies for us, whether we're in this situation. This, this more intense and dark struggle with the unpardonable sin or or really just any any situation, whether it's just a, a struggle with kind of a, a habitual sin or, or just fear, uh, different fears or anxieties in life, just different, um, you know, weaknesses and lack of victory in, in, our, in our walk with Jesus. I think a lot of those things, most of those things, maybe all of those things are rooted in strongholds, just these... It, <clears throat> Again, Paul uses the word stronghold because it's this idea of this fortified tower that stands as this defensive uh, in this defensive position to where when truth, when God tries to bring truth into our minds and hearts, there's this stronghold of arguments and falsehoods that has been built up so strong and securely in our minds that it just it blocks out uh, truth from entering into us and producing the kingdom of God inside of us and around us. It blocks us from having peace and joy and life because truth, uh, it can't enter when there's these strongholds of, of lies and deception that, that are built up in our minds. And so that's why I think Romans 12 says, it says, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are transformed, we are set free by our thinking being changed. And it's no different for this situation with the unpardonable sin. If you're in that situation like I was, what ultimately is going to bring you freedom is, is God has to change the way you're thinking. Your thinking is not in line with the truth of Scripture, even though you are convinced that it is. You're convinced 
that your condemnation is rooted in things that the Bible is teaching that, that are irrefutable. You have committed the unpardonable sin. There's no hope for you. The Bible proves that. The Bible is clear. The evidence in your life, the evidence you see inside yourself of your, your lack of desire for God, your lack of love for him, your lack of repentance, et cetera, et cetera. You're convinced that all that is the stacking weight of evidence that says you're condemned, you're without hope, and the Bible proves that. I'm telling you, that is a stronghold. That is a lie that ultimately has exalted itself over the true knowledge of God, the grace and the kindness and the love of God by that stronghold in your mind is being minimized. The power and the fullness of Jesus and what he's accomplished that he's dealt with, not just specific sins. He's not just dealt with the certain sins, but then, you know, the more severe, the more, the more, uh, uh, horrible and, and dark and, and bad, blatant sins. He, he, Jesus's victory on the cross didn't really cover those. That's kind of the, the idea, the thinking that we kind of get when I think people struggle with this fear of the unpardonable sin. It's this idea that Jesus dealt with certain sins, but, but not my sin, not the type of sin that I committed, not the type of sin that I'm, um, that I've, I'm either walking in or have walked in. And again, they believe that scriptures, you know, whether it's passages in Hebrews or the, you know, the unpardonable sin passage, which is in the, the Gospels, um, they believe that those passages prove it and it's evidence of it. Um, but I, I just want to say again, I'm convinced that that's a stronghold. And I know that it's going to be hard again, just as it was for me, it's hard to hear that. And it, it's it's going to take more than probably just one one video, one time of you hearing that. Uh, for you to have your mind changed about that, to understand these verses in a way where you can walk in freedom again. Um, but that's okay. I think there's passages where um, in Deuteronomy, it says, God drives out our enemies little by little. I believe that this process for uh, many people is not going to be an immediate, you know, transformation. Immediately, they're out of the sphere. Immediately, they're they're back where they want to be with God. Immediately, they're free from all their fears and thoughts and doubts. I think that's possible, and maybe that will be the case for some people. That would be great. Um, but for the majority of people, it's going to be a process. It's a process of healing. And again, this is something that isn't just something that applies to um, this specific aspect of struggling with the, the fear of the unpardonable sin, but this applies to every area of our lives as disciples, where we are transformed, we're set free in our thinking little by little. Uh, uh, Paul says, you know, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. And that applies to all of us. That applies to no matter what period or season of life we find ourselves in as we're following Jesus. And it, certain, it certainly applies here. Many of you, it will be a little by little process where God is going to have to little by little chip away at certain aspects of the strongholds of this what this false way of thinking that has been built up into your minds to where um, you can think rightly about God, you can think rightly about the gospel, and then you can think rightly about yourself, and you can put the sins that you have committed that you're so afraid of that, that seem like these huge giants of condemnation that nothing can, nothing can remove those, nothing can overcome those. Um, God can and will change your mind about that and help you to put those things in their right place and to exalt the, the 
um, sufficiency of what Jesus has done over um, the weight and the, the power that you're, you're giving to the condemnation of your sins. I think those things become unbalanced. They became unbalanced for me, where to me, my sin in my mind had become stronger and more powerful than what Jesus had done. And what God had to do in my mind is transform me where that shifted, where I saw that there's nothing, no specific sin that can be committed that is not covered by the blood of Jesus, uh, that he didn't gain complete and full and total victory over. Now, I know that 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 the questions of, well, what about the unpardonable sin though? Jesus talks about the unpardonable sin, the, the unpardonable sin that has no forgiveness. What about that? We're going to talk about that. We're going to explain that. And I want to explain how that fits into what I'm saying here about the that Jesus has paid for every sin. Um, and so um, one thing I, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the severity of yours or my sin. Um, you may have done some dark and evil things. That is serious. That is wrong. There, And I believe there is judgment from God on believers for sin. I think there's a loving judgment that we see. It's, it's, it's scattered throughout the whole New Testament. And so this is something that some Christians would probably have a problem with me saying God judges Christians. God judges followers of Jesus. But it's right in the scriptures. It's in Hebrews 12. It's in 1 Corinthians multiple times. And so I believe I don't want to just pass this off and because I think the you guys who are experiencing this, you know you're coming uh, your, your situation here, your, your fear of the unpardonable sin is largely rooted and you know the severity of sin. You know the severity of um, and the realness of your sin and what you've done, your failures, your disobedience. And so I'm not saying that's not real. That is real. Sin is serious. And I think, again, there is there are consequences. There is judgment for it. Um, in 1 Corinthians, it says that Paul handed over to Satan um, a certain believer it's in 1 Corinthians 5, it says, uh, Paul said to the church, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. What this says is a couple things. One is that the sin of a believer can lead them to a, a pretty severe judgment that you see going on here, where God is basically saying, this, this, this person who is a believer, he, he, he's been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, He's been brought out of this subjection to Satan and the powers of darkness and brought into this, this I think, this realm of, of righteousness and protection from that. Um, but I think in judgment, because of this person's persistent and unrepentant of sin, God said, uh, or Paul said, I think, led by the Spirit, hand this man over to Satan as an act of discipline and judgment. And so that does happen. I mean, that's that's just right there. It's biblical. This, this is one thing that I that I think I was a little bit frustrated about when I was in this experience that I don't hear a whole lot of Christians talking about this specific concept that you find repeatedly uh, taught in the New Testament, this concept of believers experiencing judgment from God. Israel was God's chosen people, but yet over and over you see pretty severe judgments from God. I think there's a difference, though, between a condemning uh, just an act of punishment. I think punishment would be the right word. There's a difference between punishment and the judgment or discipline that I think God gives to believers. But but it's real. 
So we see in this in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, that there is judgment on believers, but, but look how it finishes off. It says, hand this person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. And so again, I don't want to minimize the sin that you know you've committed that has led you to this, you know, those of you who are in this place of fearing the unforgive, uh, the unforgivable sin. I know that there's real sin, disobedience that you've committed that is really big and weighty in your mind. And I don't want to minimize that. I know that's bad. That's not good. Um, but even if that sin has resulted in some sort of um, judgment or act of God uh, cutting you off or, or or handing you over to Satan, how, however you want to put that, whatever these things even mean, you know, I think these things um, look different probably in different uh, situations. God will deal with people in different ways. But even if that's you, this verse is telling us that even God's act of discipline or judgment on this person was intended, again, it says, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. God wasn't attack or, or, or just trying to punish this person just to, to get back at him for his sin. God was doing this ultimately submitting this person, subjecting him to pretty harsh discipline, uh, judgment, being handed over to Satan, but it was for the purpose of redemption. God's ultimate goal in it wasn't just to destroy this person, it was to redeem him. He wanted to save him and set him free uh, from his sin. And so I'm convinced that no matter where you find yourself in, if you're in that place where you want relationship with God again, but you're afraid that you've committed the unpardonable sin, um, and even if your sin was very serious and it did result in some sort of judgment, which again, I believe is biblical, even for believers, you're not without hope. God's intentions for judgment, I believe, are always uh, uh, for restoration. His intentions are for redemption. He wants to use judgment. Uh, and, and even in judgment, he wants to show mercy. Um, so... Our sin and disobedience is, is serious and God is not mocked, but think about the pattern given to us by Israel. They sinned over and over and over, and even after God judged them for their sin, he never finally and fully rejected and abandoned them. Even in Romans uh, chapter 11, Paul made clear that there is great hope for Israel if they do not continue in unbelief. So my point there is this, think about this if you're in this situation. This was a huge encouragement to me in my time. I just thought about the pattern of Israel. And if you want to look at somebody who committed the unpardonable sin, I mean, look at look at what Israel did over and over, sacrificing to Baal, rejecting, rejecting the Holy Spirit's uh, teaching, rejecting the law, rejecting God, rejecting faith ultimately to the point where God would say, you are no longer my people. You know, in Hosea it says, say, uh, to them, you know, you were my people, but now you are not my people. God, this wasn't just a, a small thing. God had, uh, in a sense, abandoned them as an act of judgment because of their sin. And this happened multiple times where he completely gave them over to destruction um, from other nations. But all the way at the end, we get to Romans 11. And, and looking back on all that, Paul still says in Romans 11, in Romans 11:22, Paul says, "Take notice therefore of the kindness and severity of God, severity to those who fell, but kindness to you, 
if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So there it is again. There's a warning. These, this is for believers, for the church. You will be cut off from the brand, from the, the vine, which is Christ, if you persist in unbelief, just like Israel did. Israel persisted in unbelief. You see this all throughout the prophets. And because of their unbelief, God cut them off. I think ultimately, and this is something that is, I think we get confused about, it wasn't Israel's sin per se or specific sins that caused them to be cast off by God. Ultimately, their specific sins, whether it's idol worship or uh, uh, sexual immorality, whatever it is, that those sins are just fruits of something. Th those are just the manifestation of something deeper. And what's deeper, what ultimately was the result of them being cut off by God was unbelief. Unbelief, not believing in or trusting in God. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. This is the, the ultimate sin of man. And, 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 and to kind of cut to the chase here, this is the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable, the unpardonable sin from Genesis has always been and will always be nothing else but the sin of unbelief and just a persistent distrust and rejection of faith in God. Okay, we're going to talk about that more. Um, I'm kind of giving away the ending, uh, but but that's what this is about, and that's what you see here. Uh, but he says, Con consider the kindness and severity of God, severity to those who fill, but kindness to you if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. But, and here's, here's the key part. Listen to this, verse 23. If they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Okay, so unbelief is what caused Israel to be rejected. But it wasn't, again, this their, their judgment because of this blasphemy, the blasphemy of unbelief and rejecting God in the way Israel did. It wasn't something that was just a, a done deal where God said, okay, Israel has done this. I'm done with them forever and ever. Yes, there was judgment, but that judgment, we see, if you read the rest of Romans, this whole section, the argument Paul's making is that God is utilizing and moving and working through even Israel's disobedience to, to first show mercy to the Gentiles and then to ultimately show mercy to Israel. God's intentions, even in judgment, even if you've blasphemed him and sinned in horrible ways, God's desire is to use that to work it. If you will let him, if you will not persist in unbelief, to work that around and use that for your redemption and use that to show you mercy. That's the cross. That's that's the gospel. Isn't that what happened? The worst, most horrible, sinful acts that man has ever committed, crucifying the perfect man, Jesus Christ, on the cross. The worst, more, most horrendous, sinful act ever committed. Nothing could possibly be more sinful than that, that unless I'm just not thinking of something, than killing and crucifying the Son of God. But yet God took that horrible, most sinful event and he turned it around and, and, and made it the most glorious and, and wonderful thing that has ever happened in history. And I'm convinced that God wants to do that with you. No matter how powerful, how horrible you think your sins are, no matter how convinced you are that you've committed the unpardonable sin and there's no hope, God wants to turn that situation around and make it a... a uh, an example of, of the power of the gospel, that God takes the worst situations and he turns them to good. Um, so Romans eleven twenty three 23, again, if they don't persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. 
So what do we learn from this passage? There is a real cutting off that I think we as believers can experience, like the man who was handed over to Satan in 1 Corinthians. But there is never a time the Bible that the Bible does not hold out hope for anyone who doesn't continue and persist in their unbelief. Every time in the Bible, when you see God judging his people for their sin and apostasy, the ultimate goal is redemption. What God wants at the end of it all is to redeem them. So even if you are undergoing some kind of judgment or discipline from God, his goals are redemptive. Look at the example of Israel. Even though they were cut off, he still desires to graft them back in. Give me an example. Okay, here, here's the challenge. For, for those of you who are like me, who are convinced that because of the specific type of sin I committed, that I felt it, it fit into the category of the unpardonable sin, I was convinced I was without hope. But here's my challenge. Give me, <clears throat> give me an example in the Bible of someone who wants salvation, who, who really wants salvation, who really wants to be restored to God and desires to find restoration with God, but God doesn't want to give it to them and refuses to allow them to come back to him. Okay, Jesus said that he will not turn away anyone who comes to him. So this is John 6, 37, that says, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Okay, that statement of Jesus, that anyone who comes to him, he will never drive away. That is either true or it is not. Jesus said that whoever comes to him, he will not drive away. So is that true? Is that true or was Jesus lying? It's that simple, isn't it? It's as simple as either Jesus meant what he said, that anybody at any time who comes to him will be saved and accepted by him, or he was lying. Okay, so here's here's why I say that. Um, you might be saying, yes, it is true for other people that if they come to Jesus, he won't drive them away. But you don't understand my specific sin or type of sin. You don't fully grasp just how bad I am and just how blasphemous my words or actions or thoughts were. So you might be thinking again, you might be thinking, yes, this, this statement of Jesus applies to some people, but it doesn't apply to me because you just don't understand the type of sin I've committed. Okay, but that sounds to me like kind of adding to what Jesus says here, because Jesus didn't, uh, he didn't give any limit, uh, limitations or exceptions. Um, so he didn't say, you know, whoever comes to me, I will never drive out unless they've done this or that, or unless they've said that, or unless they've said this specific curse against the Holy Spirit, or unless they've said this specific thing, or they've sinned in this specific way, then if this person tries to come to me, I'm going to drive them away. He doesn't say that. Um, so anyone, anyone who comes to him is what he says. He will never drive away. I think this verse alone, if we understand it, should clarify us to us what the unpardonable sin is. If anyone comes to him, Jesus at any time will, uh, to Jesus at any time will not be rejected by him. Um, if that's true, then the only possible thing we could do to be rejected by Jesus is to not come to him. The only person who is never forgiven 
is the one who simply does not come to Jesus and continues to refuse to trust in God. So obviously when I say anybody who comes to Jesus will never be refused, and, and I say that you know Jesus didn't put limitations and exceptions, what Again, I realize that you, a lot of people watching this will probably have, especially if you're in this situation of fearing the unpardonable sin, you're gonna have one of those, again, those defensives that are gonna kind of try to block that out, what I just said. You're gonna have these verses and scriptures kind of tied together that are gonna say, I get all that, I heard everything he just said. It, it, it seems kind of true, it seems kind of good, it seems, it seems really simple, straightforward, but, and then it's going to bounce off different scriptures that you have in your minds. One of those is probably simply just the passage of the unforgivable sin, uh, which is, again, in the Gospels, where Jesus says there is a sin which there is no forgiveness for. And so how do these two fit together? How is it that on one hand, Jesus says anybody who comes to him will never be turned away. But then on the other hand, he says, if you commit this certain, you know, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, if you speak against the Holy Spirit, he says there is no forgiveness of, of that sin in this life or in the next. So how do these fit together? Um, we're gonna talk about that. But what I wanna say is that wherever you are at, whatever sins you may have committed, whatever words against God you may have spoken, whatever blasphemous thoughts you may have had in your mind, whatever sinful condition your heart may be in now, if you want to be restored to God and to find his grace, it is available. Uh, Jesus said to come to him and he won't drive you away. Your sins may be horrible and huge, but Jesus didn't exclude you from being able to come to him. Again, again, we're gonna, I, I wanna talk about how these, John 6 that I just talked about and the unforgivable sin passage, how do those fit together? Because I know it would seem that there is that contradiction there. We're gonna talk about that. But I wanna say that if you just take John 6, 37 at face value, if you just take the words of Jesus here for what he's saying, then it seems pretty clear that nobody at any time, no matter what they've done, um, will be driven away if you come to Jesus. Um, so Jesus is in the business of dealing with and forgiving huge and horrible sins. Isn't that why Christ died? The only thing that can keep anyone from restoration with God is a persistent and refusal to come to Jesus, to believe in him and to accept the gift that he has provided. Jesus paid for sin, not just certain sins. Jesus died for all sin. Uh, we must learn to magnify Jesus' full and complete victory over sin more than we magnify the power of our sin. Okay, so Anybody who comes to him will not be driven away. So the unpardonable sin passage, let's pull that up and, and hopefully kind of talk about how these two concepts fit together. This concept of there is this sin that there is no forgiveness for, but yet Jesus says anybody who comes to him will never be driven away. I'm going to look at Mark 3. Uh, 28 through 30, this is one place where the unforgivable sin uh, is mentioned. So Jesus says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an, an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. So in light of all that Jesus had done, all this light he had given, all these miracles he had done, he had shown himself as true. The Holy Spirit was bringing, I think, even a conviction along with what Jesus was doing. But yet, in light of all that, there were these people, the scribes, who were 
saying what he's doing was of the devil. Basically, there was this refusal to believe in, to, to, to change their minds about who Jesus was and to embrace the truth of who he was. There was a refusal to submit themselves to this light of God that was coming, that was shining on them. They were being given this period, this moment of light, and they were refusing it. Something that I think is important here, though, I don't see in this that Jesus was, nowhere in this does Jesus say that these scribes had committed the unpardonable sin. I think that's one mistake people make when trying to interpret this passage and, and, in, and becoming convinced that they've committed it. Jesus doesn't say that even though these scribes were standing here in, in the face of Jesus with all this light, and they were, they were accusing him of being a demon, they're accusing him of doing what he was doing by the power of Satan. Jesus didn't say they had committed the unpardonable sin. He doesn't say that they were they were now damned to hell with no chance of forgiveness. That's just not here. To put that in would be to add to what is actually said here. Now, I think they're on a course of committing that sin, but um, it, it's not something that Jesus said they had committed. Um, I think the implication is that if that's how they continued their lives, if they continued in that rejection of the Holy Spirit's conviction and revelation of Jesus, if they continued in that and they didn't turn away from that, then yes, that that is the unforgivable sin. That becomes, I think blasphemy is something that has to become the unforgivable sin as it is continued in and decisively um, um, remained in and chosen as a course of life unto death. Um, it's It's not something that you... I think can just slip into in a moment, like like you you have this moment of saying something, or or you have this mo moment, or even these this this period of days of uh, or, or weeks, even months of, of sin, and then you 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 change your mind. And you're like I I shouldn't be doing this. You have this fear. You have this desire to turn back to God. That's that's not the unpardonable sin. I think it becomes sin becomes the unpardonable sin. It becomes unpardonable unforgivable when it is, it becomes the course of life that you are now remaining in. It becomes, this is who you are. You have chosen unbelief. You have chosen in light of all that God has done, all the drawing he's tried to do, all um, all he's attempted to do in your life. You've chosen this course of unbelief. And in as much as you are in that, that place of unbelief and rejection of the light of God, you are committing the unpardonable sin. But Here's the other thing. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit um, is the unforgivable sin. Uh, but again, I think, I think it's important to know that's not a momentary action. It's not just this, this, this specific phrase you say or this specific way you might speak to God or these specific things you might say to the Holy Spirit. It's about the state of heart of a willful choice of unbelief in light of the Holy Spirit's attempts to draw you to himself. Um, but blasphemy can be forgiven. Um, so 1 Timothy 1, uh, starting at verse 19, Paul says, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and thereby shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So Hymenaeus, Alexander, these guys were they had shipwrecked their faith. That's not good. They had, uh, they were blaspheming. 
um, they were blaspheming. And but look again, this is this is redemptive. Even though that's what these people were doing, it doesn't say that that's that's the end. That they're now locked into a fate of destruction. But what's happening here is still there's these judgments. Again, we see the same thing hand them over to Satan. There's this judgment that's being put on them for a redemptive purpose. And what's the purpose? Well, it's to teach them to not blaspheme. So I, what I take this as, and some people might disagree, that's fine. This is how I understand it in light of what's being said here, putting it together with the unpardonable sin passages, putting it together with just what the gospel is, how salvation works, that is by faith. It's not by us not sinning. What I put all this together, and what I see is that the unpardonable, the unpardonable sin, that's a hard word to say. It's not, again, it's not this, this moment of sin. It's not this specific type of sin or this specific thing you might say to curse the Holy Spirit. The unpardonable sin, again, is this state of remaining in a state of blasphemy, a state of, of standing in the light of God's knowledge and truth and saying no to it. And as much as you are in that state, you are committing the unpardonable sin. Yes, of course, if you refuse to believe and trust in Jesus, if, you, if you're if you looking in the face of the Holy Spirit, the, the only means, the Holy Spirit is the only means God has given to reach us, to, to give us light and illumination, to bring conviction of sin, to, to show us who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit is, is God's avenue. It's like the, the, the means through which God reaches us and reconciles us to himself. The Holy Spirit is the only way. If we reject, if we blaspheme against the Holy Spirit and we say no to that that those attempts of God to reach us, if we say no to that, well, of course that's the unforgivable sin. There, God has no other offer. God has no other uh, means to reach us other than his Holy Spirit. If we refuse the Holy Spirit, we are refusing God himself. We're refusing his attempts to reconcile us to himself. And so, of course, that is unforgivable. Um, but what if uh, what if you just have spoken specific words or phrases against the Holy Spirit? What if you 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 know you've denied Jesus, you said something like, I don't, I don't um, what whatever that might look like. I don't know. I, I don't think I need to give examples, but I think there's some people who just feel like they've said certain things, they've said certain phrases that um, they've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. But Peter denied with his words, he denied Jesus three times in light of everything that he had been shown, everything he had seen, everything he experienced, all, all that the Holy Spirit had taught him and done. Peter denied Christ three times. Um, I think in a sense, there was some elements of blasphemy probably that you could rightly say were involved in what Peter did. That was a huge thing that he did. He denied Jesus. He was in essence saying, even though he might not have said it with word, with actual vocal words, in his heart what he was saying is, Jesus is not worthy of my devotion. Of um, he was he was ashamed. Like Jesus says, anybody who denies me, it's it's it says in in um, in Timothy somewhere it says, you know, whoever denies him that he will be denied. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Well, that that seems to me to be in the same category as the unpardonable sin. This, this is a sin. Jesus is saying denial of him is the sin that has no forgiveness. If you deny Jesus, he will deny you. Um, but 
I think we know that that's, that's, we understand that in a way where we know that that's not something that is locked down. We're locked into that. There's, there's no chance to repent. I think that's the mistake we make with the unforgivable sin where we think that we are kind of, uh, if we commit the sin, there's no turning back. But we don't do the same thing for, for these aspects of denying Jesus. We see Peter denying Jesus, yet we see Peter fully restored, even though the Bible seems to say, if you deny him, it's kind of the same black and white statement that Jesus gives in uh, the unforgivable sin passage. If you deny him, he will deny you. Black and white, straightforward, simple. No ifs, ands, or buts. You deny him before men, he will deny you. I think if we applied the same logic that we often apply to the unforgivable sin passage, then we must say that Peter was lost. He committed the sin that Jesus said would lead to Jesus denying him. But we know that, I think if we understand these passages, we'll know that denial of Jesus, again, can't be limited to just this one momentary thing, or even like Peter, this extended period of time where he had denied Jesus on multiple occasions. Peter was kind of walking in this for those that period of hours, however long that was. But it wasn't it wasn't just that he had that momentary time. It, it's what did he do with that? Did he remain in that? And again, I think what would cause somebody to be denied by Jesus ultimately, um, or to be um, guilty of an eternal sin isn't a momentary sin or an extended period of sin or denial of Jesus, but a, um, a a continued in state of that. In as much as you continue in unbelief and you reject the gospel, you reject God's uh, uh, conviction and his light, if you continue in rejecting that, of course, if you deny him, he's going to deny you. If you, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit in that way and reject his work and his light and his conviction, there is no forgiveness for that because there's no, that's the means through which God wants to unite you to himself, to unite you to Christ, who is our, our righteousness, who is our life. If you reject that means of the Holy Spirit by which God wants to reconcile you to himself, well, of course, that is unforgivable. Forgiveness is in Christ alone. So if you are in a state in which you are rejecting God's means to bring you into that reconciliation and righteousness, then of course there is no forgiveness of sins. But again, I don't believe it's this momentary thing. The unpardonable sin, again, it's not a specific phrase, a specific curse, it's not something specific. I don't believe that you say. Again, Jesus says, out, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I think a lot of people get, get tied up in thinking that they said some specific thing in a specific way to the Holy Spirit, and therefore they committed the unpardonable sin. I think that is an incorrect way to view it. Um, what makes a sin unforgivable isn't the fact that it's some audible thing that we said. Again, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What makes a sin what it is involves the atmosphere, the state of our hearts. It, it's it's what's coming out of our hearts that really is the sinful thing. It's not the actual projection of audible sound that we put out. It's what what's going on in our hearts that's producing that those words. So it's not the words themselves. It's not specific words you may say through the Holy Spirit. What matters is what's going on in your heart. Do you have a heart of faith and acceptance of Jesus and wanting to wanting to submit to him? Or do you have a faith of obstinate unbelief and in light of all that is true, in light of all that God has shown us in the gospel, in light of all the Holy Spirit's conviction that he may have given in your life, 
in your heart, you have a heart that says, I don't want that. I don't believe that. I don't trust in that. I don't trust God. I don't trust what he says about Jesus. Um, that is what is at the root, at the core of the unpardonable sin. Um, again, I don't think it's specific words we say. And, and in the same way, it's not specific sins we commit. Sins uh, are the fruit of unbelief in the same way that words that we might say are the fruit of unbelief. And so I th don't think that just because you may have committed certain sins, maybe uh, what, whatever it is, some people are afraid that, you know, they've, they've, they've looked at pornography for a week on end or, or they've, they've committed adultery or they've, um, uh, they, you know, they started drinking alcohol again, what, whatever it is, certain people get in this mode where they think because of these specific sins that they've fallen into, they are now in the category of the unforgivable sin. And I just think that's incorrect. That is not what the unforgivable sin is. Again, it goes back to what's going on in your heart. It, it's about your faith, your belief, uh, whether you are responding to the Holy Spirit in, in acceptance and trust or responding to the Holy Spirit in rejection and disbelief. And that is what produces, will produce the fruit of the sin or the words. Um, so signs of the unpardonable sin. And I, I would guess that most people who are watching this video who are afraid, if you're afraid that you've committed the unpardonable sin and you're, you're looking for hope, you're looking for help, I will tell you, I believe that is, that is one of the clearest signs that you are not in that state of committing the unpardonable sin. Now, this is something that people told me when I was in my season. They would tell me, Look, the fact that you care, the fact that you're concerned shows that you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. I didn't buy it. I, 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 I didn't accept that. I didn't believe it. Um, I had, again, I had all these arguments built up to why that wasn't true. But now I see that that, <laughs> that was true. The fact that I was so concerned with my condition, the fact that I was, I was so, I had, I had fear of the Lord that I think probably few other people on earth had at that time. That's not, uh, I, I think a lot of my fear was unhealthy, but I was, I was terrified. I mean, I was on my face trembling. I was, I was, I was very, very, very concerned about my sin. I was very concerned about the holiness of God. I was very concerned about the righteousness of God. Um, and I very much wanted to find hope and redemption in him. Now with all that, I also saw in myself what I thought was just fake repentance. I felt um, I didn't have love for God. I, you know, my fear of him felt like it was unholy. It was just, I was just afraid. I didn't love him. I was afraid of him. Um, so all that was true. And so I know many of you will be thinking, uh, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying there and think that I had all this, you know, spiritually good stuff going on. But I think that aspect of having that great concern about the righteousness and holiness of God, great concern about the judgment of God, great concern about my own sin. Those are clear indications and signs that you are not uh, committing the unpardonable sin, I don't think. You're not, you're not in that condition, okay? Those who are in a state of committing the unpardonable sin, um, you know, I think it's gonna, that will ultimately lead to, you know, spiritual complete apathy. Now, you might feel apathy in certain aspects, like I felt, apathetic, I think you could say about loving God, but I certainly wasn't apathetic about sin, judgment, things like that. And I, again, I very much felt concerned to find hope in God to, to do what he wanted me to do, whatever the cost. Um, now there was a lot of unhealthy fear. There's a lot of unhealthy stuff in that time, but he 
or fix that, arrange that and free me from that. But I think those of you who are here and you're, you're afraid that you've committed the unpardonable sin and you have great concern about it, I would say to you, I would submit to you that that is a very, very good evidence that you don't fit into the category of the unpardonable sin. I know for many of you, that's going to be hard to simply accept me saying that. Um, and, and it's going to take some time for your minds to be changed to think that way. But I just want to put that out there. I want you to consider it. And, and, um, and I, I a signs, though, so I think signs that that you are some signs that I thought of that you you are committing it. A sign of that would be a lack of fear of God. Okay, the Bible constantly talks about the the people who fear the Lord are blessed. You know, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him. Um, God looks on those who who fear His name. It's it's over and over and over in, in in the Bible this emphasis on those who fear the Lord. Those are the ones who are in a position that God is is accepting them and embracing them and doing a work in their lives. So signs that you are committing a sin that should make you feel fear that you are maybe in a dangerous place spiritually would be that you just don't have a fear of the Lord. You don't really have concern about his judgment. You don't have a concern really about your sin. You're just like, well, whatever, you know, I'll do do what I want. I don't even know if this stuff is true. I don't I don't really care that he's going to judge whatever that might look like a lack of fear of the lord um would be i think a sign that you're in a, a dangerous place um when again when i say fear the lord i don't mean i don't mean just this terror and this this uh, i i mean like just this reverence this respect this awareness of um you know it, it'd be similar to um I don't know the way the way the way a son would fear his father. It's not this fear because the father is evil and mean and just wants to get him, but it's this fear of knowing my father has authority over me. I am in submission to him. I I am the son. He is the father. I know my position, and he has authority over me. It, it, it's a healthy fear. I'm not I'm not submitting or trying to to argue that we need to have this unhealthy, just this terror of God. I think healthy, healthy fear of the Lord is not about terror. It's not about fear of punishment. It's just about rightly knowing who we are and who God is. Um, okay, another sign that you might be in a dangerous spot concerning the unpardonable sin would be just an unhealthy spiritual apathy leading to abandonment of relationship with God or leading to an abandonment of of faith and trust in God. Okay, if if whatever's going on in our lives, if, if it's leading us to um, just spiritual apathy to where we're kind of laying aside faith in Jesus, we're, we're kind of in this position of saying, well, you know, I tried that for a while, but I don't really want that anymore. Um, I think that's that's something that we should be more concerned with. I think that's, that's a sign that there's some unhealthy um, stuff going on in our thinking about God. And so what I want to add to that, though, is that we all have spiritual apathy at times. We can all deal with, with even just doubts. We can have really big doubts and concerns about faith and just questions that we have unanswered and, and we're searching and we're, we're wrestling. And, and we might have times where we just don't feel that energetic or, or zealous for, for God or the Bible. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that that means that you're, you're now condemned. Um, but I'm saying if those things lead you to just a full and final abandonment of God, you know, where where you're just kind of putting Jesus on the shelf and saying, I'm 
totally fully done with that. I think that's that's a concerning place, biblically speaking. But we're all going to deal with apathy. We're all going to deal with doubts. We're all going to deal with struggles. That's not those aren't things we should feel con- condemnation about. It's just don't let those things lead you to a final and full rejection of faith in Jesus. Um, another sign of the unpardonable sin is you know you look at Romans one. Uh, God it says God gives us over. So a lot of people uh, who are coming to videos like this terrified that they've committed the unpardonable sin. The thing is, again, they're they're terrified. They're greatly concerned. But God says those who who are under His His judgment in a more severe way, I think He gives them over to sin. If God is giving you over to something, it means that your concern about your sin, your concern about judgment is not really going to be there. For God to give you over, he's giving you over to blindness and hardness of heart. Those who are blind and hardened in heart in a way that uh, those who are really should be concerned, they're just not going to be concerned because, because that's what hardness and blindness uh, spiritually is all about. You lose your concern. You lose your spiritual sensitivity. So those of you who are watching this, who are greatly sensitive to your sin and greatly sensitive to these warnings in the Bible, that tells me that God hasn't given you up over to um, your sin in the way that's you know described in Romans 1. But here's the thing. If you go back to, to this section in Romans you know, 10 through uh, 12, it says God has given all over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all. So I just want to emphasize again that even in those moments where God might be judging us in a variety of ways because of sin, I think he does that in love and he does it with um, restorative, redemptive purposes in mind. Okay, signs that you aren't, you probably aren't. If you're coming to this video, you're, you're looking for answers. You're wondering about the unpardonable sin and have I committed it? Here's some signs, I think, that that you can take to the bank that you probably aren't in that category and you probably don't need to be as as worried as you are. One sign would be you do have fear of the Lord. Um, Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you have some form of fear, fear of the Lord, even if it's not fully what it should be, if you have um, um, concern for your sin and you have this concern about your relationship with God, well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I think that concern, that fearfulness shows that God is doing something in you, that there, you're in some form of a process that God is that God is doing something. And if you will continue to just look and trust in him, look to Jesus and trust in him, he will finish that work. If you have a desire to be restored to him, th- there's so many people that I think watch these videos that are convinced that they can't repent, okay? They're convinced that, their repentance isn't real, that they're like Esau in Hebrews 12, and they cannot repent. Um, but even if you have, you know, you might look and you might see some some things in your heart that aren't what you think they should be. You might think, my repentance should look different, and, and it's not real. It's not rooted in love for God. Um, I think you need to lay that aside. And I think if you have any desire whatsoever to be restored to God, that shows again that you're not in that that Romans one place where you're being given over to hardness and blindness of heart. Okay, if you desire to be restored to God, I think that would take us back to Jesus' statement that anybody who comes to Him, He will not drive away. If you have that desire to come to Him, then you can go to Him. Um, there's nothing in your way. No sin is in your way. Jesus has removed that from the way. 
Um, if you, you know, a lot of people coming here, uh, another sign would be if you believe the gospel is true and you want to obey it, but you might feel that you aren't able to. You might, you might in your mind, you know and believe the gospel is true. You believe it's true and you want to obey it. You just have convinced yourself or the Bible has convinced you or, or whatever, whatever it is has convinced you that you, uh, the gospel doesn't apply to you anymore. You believe it, you want to obey it, but you believe and are convinced that you can't. You've been kind of locked out. If that's you, again, I think the fact that you believe in the gospel and you want it for yourself, that shows that your heart is not in a place where you need to be um, fearing that you are committing or have committed the unpardonable sin. That shows me that God still has your heart in a, your heart is still in this tender place where there's responsive, spiritual responsiveness to him. Um, if you are seeking God, you're praying, you're crying out to him, even if you don't feel him, you don't feel his closeness, you're asking for forgiveness, even if you feel rejected and ignored, and you're crying out to him even though he seems far away and apathetic toward you and unresponsive. I think if you're if you're seeking God in any way, you're seeking after him, you're still praying, you're still, you know, you're convinced that you're condemned, but you're still seeking after God. That seeking after God, I think, is a great sign that you will do not need to be so fearful that you have or are committing the unpardonable sin. Because people who are seeking God in that way, crying out to forgiveness, even with all their junk, even with all the things that may not be right, that shows again, I think that God is doing something in that person. So if that is you, if these things apply to you, um, any of these things, I think you need to give um, more credit to, to the power of the gospel, to the grace and the kindness of God toward you, and know that nowhere in the Bible can I find somebody with these sort of descriptions, somebody who's who has a fear of the Lord, a concern for their sin. Um, they believe the gospel is true and they want to obey it, uh, they're seeking God, and but they feel this confusion. They feel like he's far away, he's distant. They don't know if he's going to forgive them. Um, when I look in the Bible and I see any sort of person in the Bible who can be defined by these sort of characteristics, that's not a person who God is rejecting. I never see somebody in the Bible like that, that God rejects, okay? Look at Psalm 22. David says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my words of growing? I cry out by day, oh my God, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. So this is, this is normal. The, the things I just described, the signs that you aren't committing the unpardonable sin, the fear of the Lord, desire to be restored to him, belief in the gospel, and the desire to obey, even though you feel aware of your sinfulness and failures to where you feel like you can't be a part of that. To me, that looks a lot like what I see the people of God acting like, being like, and experiencing in, in the Bible. Um, in the Bible, I see the psalmist often feeling as if their sin is, is huge and they're, they're, they're crying out to God for mercy, but they just feel distant, they feel forsaken. That seems to be a normal experience for a child of God, not somebody who God is rejecting and, and saying, I'm, I'm done with you. You know, I want nothing more to do with you. So that's, that's a lot. There, there's so much more I want to talk about here, but I, I think that's maybe enough to get, to get this, this conversation started. Um, I, just, I just want to leave you with that encouragement again about John uh, from John 6, that uh, Jesus says, whoever comes to him 
whoever comes to me, he says, I, I will never drive away. Again, I just want to remind you that he did not put limitations or exceptions there. And so I challenge you to not yourself add limitations and exceptions to that verse and say, yes, whoever comes to Jesus except me because I've done X, Y, and Z. Don't do that because I think you'd be saying something that Jesus didn't say. Whoever comes to him, that includes you. He will never drive away. If you want to come to him, it doesn't matter what condition you're in right now, what condition your heart is in, what, what you've done, what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished, the, the victory he's accomplished. He's ascended to the heavens in victory. He's descended to the abyss to, to, to conquer death and sin. Um, there's, there's no sin that Jesus hasn't paid for. The only sin... The only sin that can separate us from Jesus and what he's done for us is the sin of saying no to him. The sin of saying, I see what you have to offer. I see who you are, and I don't want that, okay? But even that sin, again, I, I, it needs to be emphasized. It's not, it's not the act of just momentarily doing this. Some people do that. Peter, in a sense, he, again, he denied Jesus three times. In a sense, he was saying, Jesus, you're not worthy of my of my devotion. You're not worthy of me acknowledging you before men. Peter was in a great moment of unbelief and not in faith, but that didn't seal the deal. Okay. So again, it's not this one-time moment. It's, it's what we have to watch for and be careful of. And, and what I think the whole book of Hebrews is warning against is moving into a perpetual and, and, and kind of finalized state of saying, I am done with Jesus. I'm done with faith in him. I don't want that anymore. And he basically set him aside and saying, you're saying, I tried that, whatever. I'm I'm moving on from that. I'm done with Jesus. You, you abandon a final abandonment of faith in him. And as much, again, in as much as you are disbelieving Jesus, of course, that is an eternal sin. That is a sin for which there is no forgiveness. And as much as you are denying Jesus, he will, he will deny us. If we deny him, if we reject faith in him, he will deny us. That's, that's the way the Bible describes uh, all this. That's, 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 that's the rules, I guess you could say, that have been set up. The gospel salvation is for those who believe. It's for believers. God saves believers. God rejects unbelievers. It's as simple as that. What is the unforgivable sin? It's unbelief. It's, it's a perpetual unbelief and rejection of God's truth and a refusal to believe it. Do you want to not be committing the unpardonable sin? Then stop your unbelief. It's Romans eleven twenty two. 22. Uh, we read this earlier. He says, consider the kindness and severity of God, severity to those who fell, kindness to you if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they, the ones who were cut off, but that wasn't this final thing. It says, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. No matter what, let's, let's say the worst case scenario, you have committed the unpardonable sin or you are committing it. If you do not continue in your unbelief, again, 1 Timothy, where it says they were given over to Satan so they, that they might learn not to blaspheme. It's not this finalized deal. There is hope. You're not, you're not locked into this eternal uh, uh, damnation to hell with no, no opportunity to get out of it. Um, turn from your unbelief. 
unbelief and a, a rejection of the gospel, that's 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 what's unforgivable because to reject faith in God is to reject the only means of salvation he has provided. So believe in him, turn away from unbelief, no matter where you're at, seek after him. He he will make all things right. He will he will little by little, I believe he will heal you, he will free you, he will help you to think differently, he will set you free from fears. He will set you free from feelings of condemnation and he will help you to see the fullness and the bigness of who Jesus is. In your darkness, in this dark, dark time, many of you are probably in with this fear surrounding these passages of scripture. If you continue to look to Jesus, he will be a, a great light to you in that, in that darkness. If you look to him, ask God to show you what Jesus means for you, where you're at. Right now, ask him to show you what does what does Jesus mean? Who is he for me in my particular situation? Uh, who is he for me even in light of my particular sinning and my sins that I've committed? What does the gospel mean for me right now? What do you, God, think of me right now? Ask him to do that. The only thing you have to fear is that you would continue in a state of unbelief. That's the only thing. I'm convinced of that. If you look to God and choose to believe in him and trust him, he, he's there for you and, and he will not turn you away. That's the promise Jesus gave us. You have been listening to The Great Light Podcast. To find more information and resources or to watch our films, go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to support this program and partner with the Ministry of Great Light Studios, you can do so through our website. There you can also find both video and audio versions of this podcast.